the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Sam Robson with you. Sam, the band is back together. It's uh, great to have you back uh, on the podcast. How are you? Thank you. It's great to be back. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. It's good to yeah have a J League weekend to look forward to and uh, to be able to have watched uh, almost all the games. I'm not watching a 5am kickoff anymore. I'm sorry, uh, Sapporo supporters. But yeah, uh, all going well. Uh, new job has gone well so far. We haven't made anything complete, any complete cock up yet. So that's all right. And yeah, the first people, first Brummies are in, are in the books to come to Japan. Excellent. Yes. So uh, we were speaking in the green room, obviously. Yes, you're uh, you're off to a, a rip roaring start uh, at your uh, new place of employment, and um, yeah, all the training went well, and you've uh, you've enjoyed your first week. Yeah, all good. It was five weeks of training, which seemed like a lot, and it just kind of went on. But yeah, it was a, a lot to get your head around, but it's all yeah sunk in after a couple of weeks, so that's all right. And yeah, first week in the office, travelling to Birmingham every day, which is not everyone's cup of tea, I guess, but it's been all right. And I'm just have to talk Pickle around because she's not delighted that I'm leaving her for so long each day. Yes, I imagine Pickle was very, very used to and very fond of having you around uh, all the time. But uh, anyway, that's uh, good to get that update from you. And uh, yeah, great to hear that things are going well. Uh, so uh, the, the summer of Johnny listeners has uh, come to a, a conclusion, at least for now, as uh, yes, as we said, the band is back together and uh, Sam and I will uh, take you through what happened in, uh, well, it turned out to be a pretty seismic uh, J1 match day 26. But of course, uh, yeah, the, the, the pair of us uh, would like to go on uh, on record and state uh, how thankful we are for uh, the way Johnny steered us through the summer and uh, yeah, absolutely stir, uh, stellar um, podcast hosting from uh, the man himself, Johnny Nichols. So uh, thanks again, Johnny. But probably uh, the, the right week to not have Johnny on, Sam, after his uh, Gumbaro Osaka side suffered a, a 4-0 defeat in that uh, early morning game for you over UK time, the the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday over here in Japan. Yeah, I'm sure I'd be delighted to have this week off because Gumbo really uh, didn't turn up. But yeah, I um, just want to echo what you said. Just thanks to Johnny for stepping in. I thought he was absolutely excellent with his solo pods and beginning a few guests and he was going above and beyond with players and under 23 players of the round. I'm not doing that sort of work, but <laughs> that was great from Johnny. And yeah, I'm sure the listeners will be eager to get him back on the pod uh, pretty soon. And I'm sure, yeah, yeah, we'll speak to Johnny again, hopefully with a better result for Gamba. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, yes, we're recording uh, as was, uh, yeah, um, Johnny's want while he was in the uh, the host chair on, on Sunday night. Sam and I are trying out a, a Sunday night recording, basically due to uh, Sam's new employment. Uh, he's not able to record uh, Monday lunchtime as uh, he was able to when he worked for Football Radar. So that that's, has meant that we are recording um, pretty much straight after uh, Kobe have gone back to the top of J1, Sam. It's um, yeah, I called it a seismic weekend. It's um, it's going to have repercussions for the rest of the season, uh, we believe, especially for Yokohama F Marinos, who uh, have not only lost to the team that began the match day 17th in the table for the second straight round. It also appears they've lost their top scorer and, um, well, key figure up front pretty much all season, Anderson Lopez, uh, to the riches of Saudi Arabia. 
Yeah, it's been a nightmare couple of weeks, hasn't it, for F Marinos? I thought, uh, especially in this the game against Castro, I thought they were very, very poor, as they were in the second half last week. And then, yeah, if they're going to lose Anderson Lopez as well, which when the Saudi money comes calling, it's very difficult for any player to turn that down. So, yeah, if they lose him, it loses so many of their goals. They've got very little in the way of players that can come in to that position. You don't want to be relying on Kenyu Sugimoto or as Wayne Acker has looked quite decent in fits and starts, but I don't think I'd be asking him to lead the line in a title challenge. So I guess you're looking at maybe Nishimura going up front, but yeah, it'd be a huge blow. And we've spoken about it a lot um, this season, that what happened, what would happen to F Marinos if they lost Anderson Lopez. And yeah, they're going to have to find that out. They're in a bit of a rocky period. It's going to get really difficult now with the ACL on the horizon after the international break. So yeah, this has turned out to be a, a really, really poor weekend for F Marinos, but it was vital that Kobe managed to take advantage of that and uh, get themselves back at the top of the table. Indeed, indeed, and they have done just that on a Sunday evening. And I'll tell you what, we uh, we certainly don't bat a thousand in uh, in baseball parlance, Sam, when it comes to our picks of the weekend. But I have to say that uh, yeah, Johnny and myself were uh, spot on at the end of last week's episode. And indeed, uh, Johnny, um, I think you might have a new nickname, Nostradamus, because uh, he, he also called, obviously, Kumamoto's cup set over Kobe in the Empress Cup quarterfinals uh, last midweek. And he also suggested, well, he'd, he'd heard on the grapevine that uh, Cerezo's uh, Sayamai Kuma might be uh, the uh, the one bolter um, or the the major chance to be the bolter in uh, Hajime Moriyasu's Japan squad for the uh, the international break, and uh, yeah, that's come true late on in the week as well. So uh, Johnny was a uh, bang on, and uh, yeah, he he had uh, Kashiwa Yokohama F Marinos as his pick of the weekend, and I went for Kobe. Kyoto for mine and um, yes well they've uh, they were not only the games involving uh, the the teams at the top of the table but uh, yeah obviously in Kashiba's case uh, had a huge implication for them down at the foot of the table as well three points that uh, yeah could uh, prove to be uh, huge and uh, well potentially priceless for them but uh, yeah let's talk about Sunday night then at the Novir Stadium so Kobe knew that uh, F Marinos had fluffed their lines away at Hitachi Dai on Saturday night, Sam, and uh, they knew that they could go uh, back to the top of the pile if they took care of business against Kyoto, but it was uh, not the best of starts for Vissel, and it was uh, Kyoto's new danger man and uh, suddenly uh, prolific uh, signing Taichi Hara, who uh, got on the score sheet yet again uh, for the fourth straight game, and he he gave uh, Sanger a, a six-minute lead. Yeah, he was a constant menace throughout this game, actually. It's the first time I think I've seen him play for Kyoto. Obviously, he was previously at FC Tokyo before a bit of a stint um, in Europe. But yeah, he really caused a lot of problems for both of the centre-backs there, and he deserved his goal. I thought um, Kyoto started really well. They put a lot of pressure on Kobe, and you can see that Kobe, without Mitsuki Saito in that midfield, there's a lack of cover, really, for those centre-backs, and yeah, they haven't been as exposed as they thought they might be this year, but um, they definitely will be now that um, Saito's out there, and yeah, they've forced a couple of errors. This one from Hat to say was a really poor clearance, and Hara takes it on well, obviously gets a little bit of fortune with the deflection on the shot, but uh, yeah, Kyoto took the lead. They were very much um, full value for that. I thought they started really well. And it was a nervy start from Kobe kind of in the 
keeping with everyone who's challenging for this title. There's a lot of nerves about there are a lot of errors being made from all of these teams, and it makes it very difficult to kind of predict where this title race is going to go. Indeed. So, yeah, Kobe had to pick themselves off the floor after Hara's early goal. And, uh, well, they got a slice of luck in their, in terms of their equaliser, Sam. But uh, for, for Shuhei Kawasaki, he won't mind a jot. His first league goal for Vissel in the 18th minute got them back on level terms and, I guess, settled the, his nerves, the nerves of his teammates and, um, well, pretty much everybody at the Norvia Stadium that, um, yeah, that Kobe were going to be OK and um, that, yeah, maybe this night wasn't going to turn out as badly as they might have uh, dreaded after that uh, early Sanga goal. Yeah, they really needed this break because I think a few minutes before then, Toya Kaur had a good effort for Kyoto to make it 2-0, but uh, Maikawa made a good save. So, yeah, they needed this look. Yuruki's cross, and it drops very kindly for Kawasaki, but he was on hand, and it's a good finish in there. I think I don't think he, many would have necessarily expected him to start this game. Obviously, Muto was on the bench, given a bit of a rest. Sean Patrick also on the bench, so he started in behind. But, yeah, put himself around, got into good positions, and, yeah, once the ball broke to him, it's a, a really good finish. No chance for Gusung Young. Right, you mentioned uh, Patrick and uh, Muto were uh, it was Jean Patrick, of course, and uh, Muto were on the bench as Jean Patrick replaced Koya Yuruki at half time. And six minutes uh, into the second half, he uh, gave Vissel the lead uh, with what turned out to be the winner. Sam, we're used to obviously him scoring dramatic late winners or equalizers. For his clubs last year, it was a Cerezo, of course. This year, it's been for Vissel. And, um, yeah, I mean, he was in on the act, of course, in uh, in midweek in the Emperor's Cup in a game that uh, Vissel ultimately lost, of course, to Kumamoto on penalties. But, uh, yes, the the goal that put Vissel back on top of J1, scored by Jean-Patrick uh, early in the second half. And, um, well, yeah, it's, it's given... Uh, Vissel the advantage in the title race so uh, yeah he'll be hoping to make even more yeah big stamps uh, on games as uh, we get closer to the finish line here in this in this season but for now yes uh, Vissel have taken care of business thanks to uh, thanks to the Brazilian John Patrick yeah they have I thought they were once they went 1-1 they were definitely in control of the game and then this goal very early into the second half kind of killed off any Real Kyoto response, um, we've seen it a lot from Jean-Patrick. He, like, when he starts games, I don't think he necessarily has the same sort of impact. But coming on as a substitute, maybe against slightly more tired defenders, yeah, his pace really causes problems. And yeah, he burst away from the right back here and then showed really good composure, getting into the area and scoring. And uh, yeah, 2-1 then to Vissel, they then really controlled the game, I thought. Osako not on the score sheet in this game, but the work he does in terms of his running across that line to hold the ball up to really keep um, yeah, Kobe in, in possession. I thought he was excellent again. A lot of really selfless work. And um, yeah, Kyoto, unfortunately for them, they couldn't really get going second half. They brought uh, the other Patrick on, Anderson Patrick as he is, and uh, he caused a couple of issues. They went with, like, with Hara and him. They caused a couple of moments of panic for Kobe but not really enough concerted pressure and yeah Kobe did really well actually just to see that game out made a few defensive changes and uh, yeah they were pretty comfortable in the end so yeah all in all a really good weekend for Vissel Kobe and plus they have the ability to um, showcase a few new signings at half time the big name will be Juan Mata formerly of Manchester United Chelsea last at 
Galatasaray and uh, the other guy who's uh, Hungarian international. Uh, I did look up his. We looked up his uh, surname uh, and his pronunciation in the green room. I think it was something like Vichai or something like that. But yeah, I don't know a great deal about him. But he's a central midfielder. He's the one who's going to try and fill the void for Mitski Saito. So yeah, he's been a part of a decent Hungarian national side in the last. A uh, few years, obviously, just come from Ferenc Varos. They're the best team in Hungary, so hopefully he can hit the ground running. But yeah, Juan Mata's the interesting one. I love Juan Mata as a person, as a player. At 35, as in the type of player he is, he's a bit like the Iniesta mold that they have realised they didn't need and what was kind of hampering them. I kind mm-hmm. of feel like in terms of just the way that they play, it doesn't really fit. I don't think he's going to be the greatest addition on the field, but maybe it's just the off-the-field influence that he can have and the kind of, I'd say, winning mentality. He was at Old Trafford for a while when we weren't winning a lot, so I don't know about that. But, yeah, he's got the that experience. Hopefully that helps Kobe. But, yeah, I'm not certain I'd see him as a necessarily as key a player as people might think on the field. What do yeah? What do you make of that signing in particular? Well, yeah, we as you say, we were talking about it uh, before we hit record, and um, obviously his age profile. You wonder, yeah, how much he's got left in his legs. Um, I mean, well, Kobe only need him to have. Uh, you know, eight games worth of burst in his legs, I suppose, until uh, until the end of the season. Um, now that they're uh, no longer involved uh, in the Emperor's Cup, but um, I guess it's it's it smacks of a typical Vissel move. Um, but again, they they're certainly hamstrung by the fact that the Japanese transfer window has closed, and they're really only able to. Again, don't want to be insulting to anybody, but they're they're only able to scrape the, the bottom of the barrel and sign free agents. We we believe at, at this stage of proceedings, so um, that's why Leo Silva was mentioned. Um, that has apparently not happened, and presumably won't now that they've paraded these two new players uh, tonight, Sunday. So uh, they've got two weeks to get up to speed before the league resumes. And um, yeah, obviously, as Johnny mentioned last week, the the run of games that Vissel have got means that, uh, yeah, they're going to have to uh, get up to uh, Mr. Yoshida's standards fairly quickly or, uh, uh, yeah, they won't have much impact at all, I guess, before the end of the campaign. But, uh, yeah, they, they had to do something, didn't they? Because, uh, yeah, Saito's are massive boots to fill and, uh, yeah, Osaki and uh, Ogihara probably uh, were not going to be enough to uh, to get them over the line. So we'll wait and see on um, how those two guys fare and if they're involved straight after the international break. But, uh, yeah, let's uh, head to um, Hitachi Dai then on Saturday night, Sam, because, uh, yeah, second for bottom hosted uh, first, uh, indeed, as it ha- uh, was the case for the Yokohama Derby. So F. Marinos again went to the team second from bottom, um, hoping to obviously extend their advantage at the end of uh, the weekend. But yeah, they find themselves at the end of the round now second in the table. A, a Kobe draw, by the way, tonight would have been enough to send them to the top on goal difference. But yes, they're now two points clear of F. Marinos. Um, everybody knows uh, making again a bright start as they did last week and um, the only difference I guess is that they got the goal last week against uh, Yokohama FC but uh, yeah some chances for them early doors that, that were not taken and um, as the, the the first half wore on uh, Kashiwa uh, seemed to grow in strength and confidence 
Sam, and ultimately they were able to make the breakthrough seven minutes after the uh, after the interval, thanks to Yuto Yamada, who got his first J1 goal with a, a crisp low finish. Yeah, they really grew into the game, Kashua. I thought, yeah, Marinos started the better, and I think they came very close with El Bez, incredible effort off the crossbar and other ones that Matsumoto had to make uh, decent saves in the race on net. But, uh, yeah, I think they obviously they're in good form themselves. Race all they haven't lost in a long time, and then they would have seen what... Uh, Yokohama FC did last week and I think they would have taken confidence from that that you can go at this F Marinos side and you can get um, create errors and create chances and that's kind of what happened uh, from maybe 20th 25th minute onwards and uh, yeah they looked good value for the lead when they eventually took it they missed they had a goal ruled out at um, probably about half an hour in when Shihashi tapped in but Hosoya was just offside um, at that moment, but then yeah, they kind of continue to grow in confidence. I thought Mateo Savio had a particularly good game, just getting in between like the defence and midfield. He gave Kida a bit of a nightmare, one of the worst games I've seen Kida play actually. And uh, yeah, Raysol just were full of energy, full of creativity, and they're finally beginning to look like the side that that all their attacking talent should be. They we've kind mm. of wondered most season why aren't they scoring enough goals? Why aren't they playing a little bit better and there were signs especially in this game that they were sort of hitting the kind of levels that they they were able to and they are able to so I thought it was a very good performance from them I thought defensively F Marinos were really really poor I know they've got injuries Koike's not there Hatanaka's out Sonoda's out but there are still good enough players to perform a lot better than they were in this game so poor defensively and really they didn't then come back at Raysol. There was no fight in the, from Marinos that I saw. Once Raysol took the initiative in the game, I thought they really just kind of nullified F Marinos. So it was a really interesting performance from them. And then if they're then going to lose Anderson Lopez as well, it's going to be really interesting to see how they bounce back from this because this didn't seem like the performance of a team that was going to go on and yeah, pro- get, get make a proper fist of this title battle. Yes, indeed, and um, yes, yeah, def- definitely some uh, some worrying times for for Kevin Muscat in his post game interview. He was, uh, yeah, I mean, he was quite honest with the fact that it wasn't a good enough performance from his side, and uh, yeah, he's got a couple of weeks, I suppose, to try and um, get them ship shape again. But well, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I guess only in the J League can you get results like this happening, and uh, not only once in a blue moon, but in in back to back weeks where uh, the team's 17th in the table at the start of the match day beat the uh, the leaders this deep into the season. I mean, anywhere else in the world is basically unfathomable. Um, but you know, after uh, Shaun did it to Kawasaki last year, I mean, it's uh, well, it's not become commonplace, but it's. Um, it just comes with the territory, I suppose, doesn't it, of, of Chaos Energy J-League, Sam. But, um, yeah, there there are deep, deep concerns here, aren't there, for, for F. Marinos. The defensive injuries, um, a slightly off-colour midfield that can be exposed at times. And then, yes, losing your uh, your fulcrum up front, as good as El Burr is, as great as it is that Real Meichi's worked his way back from all of his uh, injury troubles. Um, yeah, I guess they're going to be leaning on um, Takuma Nishimura and, uh, and Kota Mizunuma might be getting more starts towards the end of the season. They're going to have to switch things around because Ken Yusugimoto is, uh, uh, is not going to be the man to, uh, to, to lead them back to, uh, to back-to-back titles, I don't think, is he? Uh, you wouldn't think so. I mean, maybe 
2017, 2018, Kenya Sugimoto might be able to, but we've seen very little from him in the last oh, five, six, seven years. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not ex- anticipating the revival of Kenya Sugimoto. I think it's going to be really difficult for them because it mentioned the injuries there, and then if you take out uh, Anson Lopez as well, plus the fixture list is just going to get worse and worse. They've got Levain Cup, so they don't have a break really during this international period. Once they get back, it's league, then ACL, league, ACL, and it's going to be really difficult to travel back from places like Shandong, for example, and then come into a, a J-League game uh, with all that travel as well. So it's going to be a really testing period for them. I'm not 100% sure they've got the squad that's going to be able to cope with it. We said at the start of the season it was a slightly weaker squad than last year where the ability of their squad and the players that can come in was very high and that was kind of what took them over the line, I thought, again, over Kawasaki, but they don't quite have that this year. The players that came in, I'm thinking of like Inoue, and just not quite about that level. I don't really trust Inoue to come in and start a game necessarily for um, F. Marinos, and that's, yeah, it's just going to be really difficult for them. Like all season, I thought they hadn't played particularly well, but we're getting over the line. They were getting results now. In the last two games, they've played particularly poorly and been beaten by two of the worst teams in the league. So, yeah, it's a difficult one. There's still a lot of talent there. I still think I'm not going to rule them out at all. They've still got all the ability. Even if Anderson Lopez goes, you could slot in Nishimura. As you say, it's only eight games left in the league. I think he could certainly do a job for that. It's just they can't afford too many more injuries. And they're yeah, this schedule is going to be really difficult for them. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, we should mention that Mateus Savio was who got the second uh, resol goal seven minutes from time from the penalty spot after a Kaina Yoshio handball. And, um, yeah, for the, the run-in then for the top two, uh, Kobe at a slight disadvantage where they only have three home games remaining and uh, five away from the Novi Stadium. And as uh, as we've mentioned in uh, uh, the last couple of podcasts, the, the fixture list looks much more difficult for Vissel. They're away at Hiroshima after the international break, then uh, host Cerezo Osaka. Uh, travel to F. Marinos in match day 29 for, well, I mean, any of those uh, ones that I've mentioned so far could be pivotal. But um, yes, uh, we're expecting that. Kobe and uh, F. Marinos will be the top two by the time match day 29 rolls around. So that will be an absolute blockbuster uh, before they uh, then host Kashima uh, Kobe in match day 30. Then they uh, travel to Shonan and uh, Reds back to back before hosting Nagoya in their final home game of the season. And they finish with a Kansai derby away at Gumba. So as far as fixture lists go, um, Yes, well, they have to play the other teams in the top seven um, and the bottom club who are fighting for their lives, Sam, before they uh, yeah finish off with a game against uh, one of their closest rivals who, uh, if the title is on the line, would, uh, would love nothing better than to deny them their first ever top flight title. So, uh, yeah, as far as the running go, I, I don't think there's any question that everybody knows have the the better of things. Uh, they have uh, th- games against uh, three current uh, top six 
occupants left on their slate and they have uh, five home games left to play and only three away from the Nissan Stadium. So when you stack it up like that, it does look like it's advantage F Muddy knows. But elsewhere, as we've said, and you've mentioned with the uh, the fixture pileup that they've got with the, the, the Levain Cup, which I'm sure will be the third priority moving forward. But um, yes, ACL coming up on the horizon with the hugely important league games as well. So, um, yeah, the it's, uh, I guess, well, if we move on, is it primed for a team like Cerezo Osaka to, to, to zip through on the inside and um, shock the world, Sam? Because uh, Kobe are back to the top of the table, but basically Cerezo are pretty much the hottest team in J1 after three straight victories. Um, on Saturday, they moved up to fourth with a 3-0 home win over Kawasaki. That's taken them to within a point of third place Nagoya and um, just uh, five behind F. Marinos and seven off the top spot. Um, Cerezo only have two top six opponents left. They are Kashima and Kobe, who they both play away from home in the next two match days. But in the form they're in, yeah, you you wouldn't rule anything out in this league. And uh, Cerezo seem to be hitting their straps at just the right time. Yeah, they do seem to be. I mean, I was listening to you and Johnny last week, and then you put in Cerezo into the title picture, and I hadn't really focused as much on the J-League as, as previously. So I was thinking, well, is this the same Cerezo or Saka? They've been really quite inconsistent all season. I've not really seen them play particularly well. But obviously, the last couple of weeks have been very good, too. Uh, back-to-back um, victories, scoring three goals each time. It's Nagoya and Kawasaki. You can't argue with that. They are in a very, very good position. We've just, you've just rattled off Vissel's nightmare run. It's as if the opponents at all, in the title race, had all hand-picked the opponents that um, Kobe were going to play, because I don't think they could get a, a tougher schedule at all. And then, of course, the likes of Cereza, they've got no other commitments in terms of the ACL. They're not in the Levain Cup. They've got not got the Emperor's Cup, so they've got a, a clear run at it that um, the likes of Marinos and Reds don't. They're in a very good position. They've got lots of good players. Defensively, very, very solid. I think Kagawa has played well. Um, Leo Ciara, as mentioned last week, is still scoring a lot of goals. I do like the new signing Watanabe as well. Every time I've seen glimpses of him, he looks very, very promising, very bright. And they've got, yeah, lots of good young players in there as well. So it's a very decent squad. They seem to be coming into some form and some consistency, which has been lacking. So... Yeah, why not? I think this is really open and it's not like any other team is necessarily looking convincing. I know Kobe won today, but there are there's holes in that midfield, especially without Saito. The defence can be got at. We've mentioned F. Marinos' troubles. Uh, we'll go on to Grampus and Reds, who both have issues themselves, as do Kashima. So, yeah, why not? So, so it's an opening for them. Still a fair gap. Seven points is a big one to overhaul, but... With Kobe's fixture list and the comparative ease that Cerezo have theirs, you never know. I still think they're probably a little too inconsistent to do it, but there's definitely a chance for them. Yeah, do you consider them genuine contenders, Ben? It's hard to, isn't it, when they've been so inconsistent over the years? But um, is this uh, is this version of Cerezo? Uh, I guess fresh enough where they don't have the uh, the, the scars, the the uh, the battle wounds of um, yeah near misses from the past. Yeah, I would uh, probably argue on the side of uh, yes, they uh, yes they're uh, they're they're fresh enough 
um, these uh, these Cerezo players that um, yeah past uh, uh, past worries, past indiscretions uh, will uh, it mean very little to them. So yeah, the fact that they've uh, they they appear to be hitting their straps at the right time and uh, yeah they don't have um, as you say the, uh, the the concerns of some other title contenders to, to to stand in their way means they can remain focused on the uh, on the target. Uh, yeah, for as long as we've known Cerezo and for as long as we've talked about them, uh, consistency has uh, been their bugbear. And, um, well, yeah, who's to say they won't come out and struggle in their next two league games, which, uh, we've, as we've said, are their most uh, difficult remaining on their schedule. But they've given themselves, I, I would argue, as good a shot as uh, as anybody left in the picture. And... Uh, yeah, it's 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 up to them as it has been, I guess, all the all over the journey. But um, yeah, if they're um, if they're good enough, and it does appear that the the teams around them are going to be um, dropping points, it's hard to see any of the teams above them being perfect in the run-in. So yes, they are well and truly uh, in the hunt, Cerezo, after uh, a three-nil home win over Kawasaki, as we said on Saturday night. As you said, they've they've uh, won back-to-back games scoring three goals and uh, indeed it's three three straight in the uh, in the league Sam now w- the the first goal was a call to Takai own goal and the last two uh, in the last 20 minutes were penalties from Leo Ciara and then uh, the guy who came off the bench for him uh, Rio Watanabe so the first half at least of uh, the highlights were dominated by frontale chances but uh, yeah you you look at the final score and 3-0 to Cerezo um, I don't know. Does it flatter them, uh, considering how the the goals were scored, or ultimately did you think they deserved uh, to take something away from the game? And uh, maybe did the uh, the result, uh, the scoreline, flatter them to a, a a small degree? Yeah, the score the scoreline definitely flattered them. But I do think that Cerezo played well. I thought they were probably the better side. And I, the Kawasaki had their chances first half, but I thought Cerezo grew into the game, especially towards the end of that half. And then Cerezo were the better team throughout the second half. I think that was quite clear. Yeah, they got the fortune with an own goal. And yeah, the penalties, you could argue they could go either way, especially the first one, the, one of those handballs. It took absolutely forever to eventually award it. But yeah, I thought second half, once they once they got through that early storm, from Kawasaki, and I say storm, it was probably there were a few chances. I wouldn't say it was consistent pressure like the Kawasaki of old, for example. I think they got through that pretty well, and then second half caused lots of problems. Jordi Crew, especially with his crosses in from that right hand side, Kawasaki just didn't deal with it. And uh, yeah, I thought defensively they were quite poor. Obviously, they'd made a few changes from the midweek game, they'd rested a few players like Yamane, like Kuramaya. And, uh, yeah, they looked a little bit all over the place and a little bit lazy in some of the defending as well, especially, um, I mean, it is Iyanaga, I suppose, and uh, laziness maybe does come off like that. But his challenge for the third penalty was particularly poor. So, yeah, I thought Cerezo, it wasn't a blockbuster performance at 3-0, a little bit over the top, but I thought they did deserve the victory. All right, then. So, uh, yeah, Cerezo have edged their way up to fourth in the table. They're now goal difference ahead of Urawa. And, uh, well, yes, we've said that Kobe took advantage on Sunday night of uh, F. Marino's slipping up. But, um, yeah, the other teams in the top six, well, they did not uh, do so against a bottom half opposition. Uh, so Nagoya hosted Yokohama FC. Uh, Urawa traveled to Niigata and uh, Antlers, uh, of course, Kashima were on the road 
against bottom club Shonan. All three of uh, the, uh, the the top six sides uh, took the lead in the first half, but uh, all had to settle for points. Well, in, in the case of Antlers, though, of course, they had to battle back after Shonan scrapped their way into a 2-1 halftime lead, and then uh, Antlers got their uh, equaliser to uh, to finish the game 2-2 with a, a second-half uh, stoppage time penalty from uh, from Arthur Kaike. So uh, let's begin these uh, the roundup of these three games at the Toyota Stadium, Sam, where uh, Nagoya and Yokohama FC finished 1-1. Sho Inagaki got a, a long VAR deliberated opener for Grampus in the 22nd minute, but uh, Yokohama FC, after their huge victory last week in the Yokohama derby, were good value and uh, ultimately deserved their point through uh, Kazuma Takai's goal uh, four minutes from time, didn't they? Yeah, thoroughly deserved point. They could argue they maybe should have had a little bit more as well. They were the only team really attacking for large parts of this game, with Nagoya trying to sit on their 1-0 lead. And the goal that comes about, I hate this goal because it's given offside on the field because Juncker is standing in an offside position. I think it's, is it Boniface and Duca that has to uh, make the interception as the ball is going to him? And the only reason he has to make that challenge is because Juncker is in an offside position. So he intercepts and it falls to Inagaki who scores. And it's, it's consistent in that. These are never given as offside. And I can understand that that's why this goal is, um, yeah, is given. But I think it's a clear advantage that Nogoya get for Juncker being in an offside position. So I really don't like that this goal was given, but I just have to accept that those that's the way things are. But Yokohama yeah, reacted pretty well to it. I think that considering when we they lost Koki Ogawa, we thought, OK, they've not got a lot going forward anymore. But everyone has chipped in. Everyone, they're flooding a lot more players forward than they used to. And they're getting the results from that as well. I thought from going 1-0 down, there was only ever one team in it, and it was Yokohama FC. They forced Langerak into a few good saves. Maybe got a little bit lucky in terms of the way that the goal comes to them with Masaran's header off the post and then Takai heading in, but I thought they thoroughly deserved at least a point out of this game. And Nagoya, and similar to the way that Reds dealt with their game as well, once they went 1-0 up, they were far too defensive. Yeah, both teams are good defensively, and generally they are able to sit back and soak up pressure, but both of them invited far too much on, and Yokohama FC and Nigartas will come on to both took advantage of that. Well, that's right. Yeah, with Takai's goal, I mean, uh, yeah, Langerak able to get fingertips on the the, the gun header onto the post, but yes, the the, uh, the Grampus back line caught a bit flat-footed, and Takai the first to react to the loose ball to uh, to score four minutes from time and earn uh, Yokohama FC a point. It, it wasn't enough to uh, to prevent Racel moving back above them, and the Yokohama FC finished the match day in 17th, but um, yes, a very, very creditable point away from home for them, and uh, they still have, uh, yeah, five of their last eight uh, away from home uh, in the run in uh, Yokohama FC, but uh, yes, yeah, a, a, a couple of match days where they uh, could have been forgiven for uh, for not expecting too many points to come their way, but uh, indeed, they've uh, they've finished it with uh, with four, and um, yeah, they sit four points above uh, bottom club. Sean now with uh, eight 
games uh, left to play for uh, for Grampus. They're another in the uh, the boat of uh, three home and five away uh, left on their slate, and um, yeah, there's some uh, some tricky looking trips there, including to uh, Hiroshima and uh, Gum, but not to mention uh, Shonan and Kobe. Uh, both of those uh, groups of games are uh, back to back, and uh, they finish at home against the Kashiwa Nagoya. So they'll be hoping that Raysol is safe by that point. But, um, yeah, potentially could be a lot on the line for both clubs at the Toyota Stadium in that one. So, uh, yes, uh, at the Big Swan, uh, Reds took a uh, the took the lead rather seven minutes before the break, thanks to an Alex Schultz penalty. Uh, again, yet another um, well, spotty decision, Sam, from a weekend uh, of them. I think we can we can say it wasn't the best weekend for uh, the the referees or indeed the VAR officials. But uh, finally, my boy Yota Komi came through for Albert X, uh, Sam. He uh, he waited through the summer. He didn't get his first J1 goal until I was back in the country. And um, it wasn't the, the sort of blockbuster I was hoping for. Some of the uh, the dynamic runs from midfield he's made so far um, since he's uh, come into the the Albert X first team. But nine minutes from time, he earned uh, Niigata a, 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 yeah, a deserved point in this game to send the uh, the, the, the home supporters from the Big Swan uh, home uh, content, I suppose. Yeah, that he got a little bit of luck in the way that the ball broke to him in the area, but it was thoroughly deserved for Niigata and for Komi himself, actually. They brought him and Mito on, I think it was 73rd, 74th minute, something like that, and those two really took the game to Reds. They were so bright, a lot of good movement. It, caught, it kind of broke away the stubborn resistance of the Reds' defence, who had sat in. They were very comfortable for large parts of that second half, but these two really... And move them around and cause problems and eventually they get that little bit of a break and Komi finishes pretty well uh, sliding in for one ones. but it was uh, thoroughly deserved for Niigata Redsu were the better side in the first half they got their goal maybe a bit fortunate in the way the handball comes about and they started the second half okay with a second A strike into the side netting but after that they just sat deep and sat deep and they were so negative and Niigata just, they who like getting on the ball, they're confident on the ball, and they kept playing their way forward, they got closer and closer, and eventually were able to break um, Reds down, it was a thoroughly deserved point, but I thought it was a really poor display in that second half from Reds, who really that game was there for the taking, Niigata are not a great defensive unit, and you mm-hmm. can easily go and then score a second or a third against them, but and I thought they might do, because with Kante, um, obviously in really good form, they've got Decent players around him in terms of Okubo. I know he went off injured, but he's still got second A's doing well. Koizumi's okay. They've got lots of players that can create chances. But they left like the likes of Nakajima on the bench. He didn't get a minute in this game. And I thought it was just a lack of ambition from Reds. They didn't, I don't know if it was a lack of belief or they just thought, we can sit on this. We're good enough to defend against Niigata. And in the end, they weren't. So a little bit of fortune, but... Yeah, they deserve to come unstuck, Reds. I thought it was a really negative performance. All right, then. Yeah, on a weekend where, obviously, they weren't to know what was going to happen in the uh, F. Marino's uh, Kashiwa game. But, yeah, a, uh, uh, I'm sure their supporters are finishing up this uh, this weekend really frustrated with their, with their side because, uh, yeah, having come in on the back of, uh, of two straight league victories and looked like he, they were going to play a major role 
in the uh, the destination of the title. Of course, that could still come about. There's still 24 points left to play for, and um, the top two have uh, yeah not been all that convincing in, in the past couple of months. So there are there are opportunities there for other teams to break through. And as this is the case with Cerezo, it's uh, it's, it's got to be about consistency and the, the same thing applies for Reds and as you say yeah this was there on a plate for them but yes they were unable to do it and a fair play to Niigata for battling it out and uh, finishing with a point and uh, for Antlers well yes I mentioned that they took the lead early doors uh, as well that was through Kaishu Sano in just the eighth minute but Yuki Ohashi and Akito Suzuki gave a Sean on the lead heading into the sheds with a goal apiece in the last 10 minutes of the first half. Uh, Antlers, um, well, to say they went close to an equaliser through Yuki Kakita is, I think, the understatement of the year, Sam. It might have been a Matoma millimeter in it. Of course, the J League doesn't technically have goal line technology, but VAR is able to uh, to check if uh, they believe the ball has crossed the line or not. And, um, well, yeah, for all the world, I thought that uh, that shot from, uh, from, from Kakita had hit the bar and, yeah, crossed the line before bouncing back into play. But uh, VAR determined that it hadn't. And, well, in a season that is, um, well, whether it's unravelling or not, it certainly hasn't gone to plan for uh, Satoshi Yamaguchi and his uh, his Shonan side, well, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's come come again in second half stoppage time where uh, Arthur Kaike slotted home a penalty after a an unfortunate coming together in the box with uh, Naomichi Wada taking a, a boot to the head and uh, after a VAR check, the uh, penalty has been awarded and um, yes, yeah, Shonan having to settle for a point when it looked like they might be able to run out with all three. So a uh, really difficult one for the the home supporters at the Lemmingas Stadium to take, Sam. But uh, for Antlers, a creditable point at the end of the day. But, yeah, they, they really would have hoped for more away at the bottom team, especially after taking the lead so early. Yeah, this is a game that you'd expect them to win. If they've got any chance of a title push or pushing on to those ACL positions, this is a game they should have won. Obviously, without Yuma Suzuki, who's so vital to the way that they play, I think Atlas are a team that, if they get their absolute best 11 out, then they can play to Iwamasa's system, and it's really difficult for anyone to beat them. But once you take one or two players out of that, as it was the case in this game, not just Suzuki, but the likes of Anzai was out, Higuchi was out, and that just, it really does affect them. So they played well in real bursts. I thought the first 10 or 15 minutes, they could have gone 2 or 3 nil up, and Shonan couldn't have complained, and they scored a very good goal through Sano with his fine run, and then cuts across it to score uh, past Tommy in goal, but then once they didn't get that second, Shonan then turned it up, and they were they played very well either side of half-time. I thought the both goals that they scored were so good. The counter up towards Zelnose, the flick, and then Ohashi shooting low into the bottom corner. It was a really good finish. And then Suzuki, likewise, was a very similar finish into the bottom corner after uh, Tiger Hatter had done really well to win the ball back. And So at that point, Shonan looked like they were full of confidence. They'd played really well to get back into 2-1 and started the second half pretty well as well. But again, like um, Antlers earlier, they weren't able to then extend that league and get some sort of cushion, and then Cashmere came roaring back, started that, well, from midpoint really in the second half, starting really with that 
Kakita shot off the underside of the bar and then, yeah, they were just the only team in it and thoroughly deserved the point in the end and a little bit of fortune maybe with, it was like a hopeful ball in and then there's the high boot that comes to the penalty that uh, Kaike finally scores. But yeah, I thought they were definitely deserving of a two-all draw and I think both teams can probably take something out of the game. I think Shonan to have gone up against a team as good as Kashmir and been able to control that period of the game and to come from one down to two one that shows that they can probably do that against any team. Hopefully that gives them that sort of confidence but uh, Kashmir can also say that they played very well for large parts of the game as well to get back into it. So both teams will have for their respective ambitions. I think Kashmir will believe that they can get into that top three at least and maybe higher, although I think maybe top three would be a limit for them. But Shonan can also see that in this game, they've still got some quality. They've got very good players as well, Shonan, that maybe should be doing better than they are. And if they can tighten up slightly at the back, then yeah, there's no way that they should consider themselves out of it. And they still should think that they can hold down at least one of Yokohama or Kashiwa. So I thought it was a really open game, probably the for my money, the best game of the weekend. And uh, yeah, both can hopefully take some positives out of it. All right then. Okay, so um, from uh, a Shawnan perspective, um, taking the, the home side first, yes, uh, they, uh, they're they now four points adrift of a Yokohama FC and a five behind Raceol in the uh, the relegation battle. Um, they play three of the uh, the current top six in the final eight match days. Uh, their only six pointer left on the slate is against Yokohama FC in the uh, the second to last round, and they finish at home against FC Tokyo. Now I have um, no doubt in my mind that FC Tokyo will be a very accommodating guests on that last uh, game of the season. And hopefully for Sean, it will, it will mean something and their, their, their lives will, uh, will still be on the line and hopefully they'll still have a chance to survive when FC Tokyo rock up. But um, yes, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. And uh, I guess of the, of the bottom three, they're, they're obviously in the worst position, four points adrift and also have the, uh, the, the slightly more challenging set of fixtures left in front of them for uh, for antlers they might be slightly too far back nine points adrift of uh, the current leaders kobe but um, if they don't win the league they might uh, play a huge part in who does because uh, yeah apart from nagoya they play the the rest of the uh, the teams above them in the last eight match days and uh, have five games left at home. So uh, no, yeah, I don't think anybody's writing Antlers off completely, but uh, it is uh, a long road to to go up the table and they have a lot of traffic to try and climb above. But yes, they will play a big role in the destination of the title. I think I think we have officially written off Hiroshima, haven't we, Sam? But they're uh, I guess they're still kind of in the in the thick of things after um they they won on a saturday away at tosu to make it three wins and indeed 10 points from their last uh, four games it was a, a two nil victory for sanfrecce uh, piero sotiriu scoring in just the third minute 
after a uh, Makoto Mitsuta ball was headed across the box by Marcos Junior and uh, Sotiriu got to it just before Park Ilgu. And then uh, Douglas Vieira uh, wrapped up the points for Sanfrecce and made it 2-0 with 11 minutes left when he headed in uh, Shinya Nakano cross. So, um, well, yeah, this was a little bit of a strange one. Hiroshima taking chances, uh, Sam. We haven't seen a, a tremendous amount of that uh, in in recent times or indeed all season. So, uh, well, I don't know. Is it is it possible that they're hitting their straps for a late charge up the table uh, in the last eight rounds? Our J-Preds would obviously appreciate it, uh, and I can't really see it myself. But, um, yeah, a decent enough win for them away at uh, a Tosu side who admittedly have uh, next to nothing to play for at this stage of the campaign. Yeah, unlike Johnny, I don't think we can claim to be Nostradamus can't move that pick of Hiroshima to win the league, but um, they're in good form. They're, only Cerezo can equal the form for the last four games, and to get Mitsuta back, and then alongside Marcos Jr., which is I mean, it was a nightmare for them, it seemed to be, when they lost uh, Morishima to Nagoya, but to pick up Marcos Jr., I think they couldn't have done any better than that, and those two seem to be combining really well, and if they can get a striker that scores goals, and Sotiri obviously got his one goal in this, there were other you say they, they took, did take chances, but Soteria himself missed a couple as well. So there are still things to work on. But I thought that they looked a very threatening team in this game. They thoroughly deserved the victory over Tosu. They scored the, the two. Mitster had one very tight offside uh, right at the end for three. So uh, 11 points, it's a long ask. It's a big ask. But certainly top three, I don't think, is without, it's out of the question. Five points the difference between them and Nagoya. I think they seem to be in better form than a lot of those teams above them. I think they've got the quality, definitely. They've got a very good defence. I think everything that we spoke about at the start of the season still applies to this Hiroshima team. And if they can have that sort of consistency, which is so difficult for any team at the moment to to get, but certainly a good run. They've got the players to do it. I wouldn't rule them out of the top three. I think... I think we have to concede that we're not winning the J-Pred, at least with Hiroshima first. But I think they'll have a a very big say in those um, Champions League places come the end of the season. Absolutely. All right, then. So, uh, San Freccia, yeah, hitting their straps late in the in the campaign. But, yes, I, it looks uh, almost certain that they've left their run uh, far too late in terms of a, a title push. But, uh, yeah, you never know when it comes to the ACL. We'll wait and see. Uh, so, two games left to go. We'll, uh, we'll chat about the other one that uh, wrapped up the match day before finishing with the one that began it. Uh, so, on uh, Sunday night, well, not only did uh, Kobe claim a hugely important 2-1 victory over Kyoto. Well, there was another 2-1 victory, and in the the least surprising result of the weekend, Avispa Fukuoka defeated FC Tokyo. It didn't matter a jot that uh, Lukian wasn't there. Fukuoka did the business again against FC Tokyo regardless. They made a lightning-fast start and uh, went to 2-0 up in uh, in just the first 11 minutes through uh, Ryoga Sato and uh, Yuya Yamagishi and uh, were absolutely terrific well in, in the first half but yes for the, the large large parts of this game before Tokyo got a, a consolation through the substitute Naoki Kumata with uh, 4 minutes left but uh, yes that's just papering over the cracks of another disappointing FC Tokyo performance but uh, full credit Sam must go to Avispa Fukuoka who obviously had done tremendously well to work their way 
up to eighth in the table, then had a couple of disappointing performances on the spin that left their supporters scratching their heads. But, um, yeah, a trip to the capital was all they needed to put things right. And uh, against opposition, they certainly would love to play against every week. And, indeed, they get to play them two more times in the next uh, week or so in the Levain Cup quarterfinals. Um, yeah, that was all uh, Fukuoka needed to, to put things right. Yeah, I thought they were excellent. So it's been a few weeks since I've watched the J-League and I can hardly believe my eyes that this was the Vispa for Quoka playing the sort of football they were in the, at the start of this game, especially. I thought some of the movements, some of the passing, it was like, which team was being managed by Pete Klamowski here? Because Vispa were just playing really expansive stuff. They obviously got the two very early goals, but everyone in that front line and midfield, they were all playing very, very well. Tokyo didn't get to grips with them at all. I thought defensively, that, and it's a shame on our reunion that I have to go into FC Tokyo and how poor they were defensively, but they were atrocious. Especially no, that, sec- that second goal is a throw-in down the left-hand side. Koizumi, I think, is one of them. Matsuki is the other. Neither of them are paying any attention as Kono gets into the byline down the left side and cuts back. Nobody really meeting Yamagishi. And I thought, yeah, Tokyo, absolutely woeful defensively. And then they couldn't get themselves going at all. The other end, some loose passes when they were starting counterattacks, coupled with good pressure from Avispa, who again were fantastic, especially in the first half, but Tokyo really didn't get going. It was uh, one-way traffic in in that game, slightly more even second half. Uh, Tokyo got back into it with um, a decent bit of pressure, including one block from Nara, really good block from a decent effort. And then, um, yes, uh, what was it? Kumata, yeah, nodded in, was it? Um, mm, for the, uh, yeah. the consolation goal, but really it wasn't then like that was four minutes from time you expected then Tokyo to really press and put Avispa under pressure and it didn't really come. I thought Avispa defensively throughout were very, very good. Getting Grawley and Nara into that same team, it's very difficult for a lot of teams to break them down. I thought the shape was very good and yeah, I can't praise Avispa enough and I haven't done it uh, very often necessarily. I've often criticised necessarily the way they were playing, a bit too negative, but this was an almost... for large parts of this game, this was almost perfect of this for Quoker performance. And, yeah, they thoroughly deserve to be where they are in the table. So, yeah, congratulations to them. But, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's still a long way for FC Tokyo to go before maybe Pete Klamowski can have his full stamp on this team. Agreed. And I think we'll leave it there, Sam. It's very well said. And, yeah, I mean, there was only uh, two points separating these sides at kickoff. But, um, yeah, obviously... A, a chasm between them um, in terms of their performances on Sunday night. And, um, yeah, a thoroughly deserved victory for Fukuoka, which uh, consolidates them in eighth spot in the table. And uh, fair dues to Avispa. We'll see how the uh, the two battles uh, go in the uh, Levain Cup quarterfinals. But, yeah, if, um, if tonight's any guide, then it'll be... Uh, Fukuoka through to a second domestic cup semi-final of the season. Uh, we'll wrap it up with uh, yes, the the Saturday lunchtime kickoff, uh, Sapporo four, Gumba Osaka nil. So uh, yeah, this was a game of teams coming in in contrasting form. Sapporo had not won in the league in nine games. Gumba had lost only one of their previous eleven. So of course, uh, what happens? Yes, it's J one. So Sapporo win. 
4-0. And uh, Super Choc was at it again, scoring in the 13th minute and then just before the hour to make it to 2-0 to Consadole. Uh, Kim Gun-hee and Yuya Asano got the the final two goals and uh, to, to put the icing uh, very much on the cake for Consadole late on. Yeah, it looked to be a, a terrific one for the uh, the Sapporo faithful. They'd uh, suffered through the last three months, but um, yes, they uh, they were repaid in spades on uh, on Saturday lunchtime. Yeah, this was as J-League a game as it gets, isn't it? Sapporo haven't turned up for months and come out and beat a very informed team 4-0. But yeah, they looked like what Sapporo are capable of. And I think it helps with Ogashiwa back up front. Like He is so important to the way that they play. He's the only sort of profile of striker that seems to work with them when they try Kim Gun-hee's occasionally, or generally speaking, they pick a midfielder, Takuma Arano or someone, and chuck him up front and try and work it that way. It never really does, but Ogashiwa came back in. He's missed, what, six of the last eight through injury, and, yeah, he was so key to it that his movement allows that space for the likes of Superchok and Komai as well got involved quite a bit, and, yeah, Gamba really seemed to struggle with that sort of movement. They had a few chances themselves, Gamba, but, yeah... Really, it was Sapporo the ones taking their chances. They were thoroughly deserving of the big victory, but it just must be so frustrating for Sapporo supporters that they are very capable of this sort of performance. But, yeah, they've just not been able to see it for months. So it was good to see them back. And, yeah, I'm sorry again that I'm not going to, unfortunately, get up at 5am with a lone game. maybe later in the season when everything moves back. And, yeah, there's some big um, fixtures Early in the morning, I might bring myself out of bed, but yeah, for one mid-table game, I couldn't do so. But yeah, Sapporo are always good value, and uh, they're always on YouTube as well, over for anyone outside of Japan. So the J-League definitely believes in Sapporo putting on a spectacle, and they certainly do more often than not. So yeah, if you can get up at 5am in Europe, do, do so, because Sapporo will be exciting. But yeah, I just couldn't bring myself this weekend. No, no, fair enough. I mean, yeah, while Superchock continues to do the business, then, uh, yes, you can't blame the uh, the Jaylee International crew for uh, selecting uh, Sapporo Games. And, um, yeah, it's uh, good to to see them, yeah, finally reward their international fans with a, uh, a performance, not only the, the ones that rock up at the Dome, of course. Uh, yes, they were seventh after match day 16, Consadole, but, uh, yeah, it slipped all the way down to 13th at kickoff with that uh, long winless run that has finally stopped. And I guess, yeah, Gumba were, unfortunately for Johnny and the rest of their supporters, due a flat one. And uh, while they did have chances, um, yes, were unable to take them. And, uh, yes, that's, as I said, just a, a second loss in 12 then for uh, for Gumba. And they are still a point ahead of Sapporo in the table, 11th and uh, 12th, respectively, after 26 rounds. OK, so that's uh, the uh, the full slate of nine games rounded up then. Uh, we have the Levain Cup uh, quarterfinals to look forward to over the international break of ever so quickly it's a gumba hosting urawa uh sapporo hosting yokohama f marinos fc tokyo and fukuoka go at it again at ajinomoto stadium on wednesday night and uh, nagoya host kashima in the the first leg of the quarterfinals with the yes the the fixtures obviously reversed over the weekend so uh, fukuoka into the, uh, the the semi-finals of the Emperor's Cup last Wednesday by defeating uh, Shonan 
at home. They did have to come from a goal down Fukuoka, but were able to win a 3-1 at the Best Denki Stadium. Fukuoka will play Kawasaki in the Empress Cup semi-finals. Frontale edged Niigata 4-3 on penalties after a 2-2 draw. Uh, 1-1 after 90 minutes. Both sides scored in extra time, including... Fumiya Hayakawa, who was uh, Niigata's hero, who scored a a dramatic uh, late equaliser right at the end of the uh, 120 minutes. Uh, Hayakawa, of course, heroically kicked uh, leukaemia to the curb and made a triumphant return to the pitch after three years away in uh, 2019. So a massive moment for him. But unfortunately, uh, yes, uh, Kawasaki, well, unfortunately for Niigata, Kawasaki prevailed in the shootout. And uh, yes, they will face Avispa. In the semis, as we mentioned earlier on, Johnny Nostradamus was on the ball and he called the uh, the cup set of uh, Kumamoto beating uh, Vissel Kobe and in the, uh, the the quarterfinals. Remarkable stuff. Uh, 4-3 on penalties. Uh, Kumamoto led through Rei Hirakawa but were pegged back late on by Jean-Patrick. But uh, yeah, after uh, neither team scored in extra time, it went to penalties and uh, Ruasso did the business. Um, safe to say the biggest victory in their history and the, the first ever time they've been in the Emperor's Cup semi-finals. Uh, they will face Kashiwa. It was a great week for Raisol. They uh, defeated Nagoya 2-0 at Hitachidai to make it through to the last four and, um, yes, yeah, set themselves up for Saturday night's 2-0 victory over then J1 leaders uh, F. Marino. So, yeah, Levain Cup quarters to come. Sam and uh, Empress Cup quarter f- uh, finals played last Wednesday. It's a, a big uh, time of the year for for cup competitions in Japan, and um, yeah, the uh, the cup sets are flying here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, it was a wild uh, set of quarterfinals. I don't think I've ever seen the semifinals be quite as open as they are. There's no team that's going to um, yeah open it up for a fourth place in the league to get a Champions League place. It's just very open ordinarily if you look at those four teams you'd say from Tale that's theirs to win but obviously they're not playing particularly well this season there's no reason that Fukuoka can't go and beat Frontale in that one and then even Kumamoto like they've just lost to Jeff United today and they sit hovering just above the J2 relegation zone but they'll take a lot of belief out of what Kofu did last year they'll definitely think that Raysol are a team that they can go and beat and you know what, I'm 100% behind a J3 Ruoso Kumamoto entering the the Asian Champions League. I don't wish relegation necessarily on them, but that's the storyline I really want. So that'll be very exciting. And then the Levain Cup, very interesting uh, fixtures there. Obviously, you don't, you as a Tokyo supporter would rather see the back of a Vispa Fukuoka and not face them. But otherwise, really open ones. It's, again, a very difficult uh, competition to call as... Every competition seems to be this season. There's not a standout team in there. And, um, yeah, it should be a really interesting set of fixtures. And we're very close to, hopefully, your recall to do some commentary in the Levain Cup. Oh, well, yeah, I haven't heard anything at this stage. So, um, yeah, it would be uh, it would be great to get the tap on the shoulder. But, uh, yeah, I'm certainly not holding my breath for anything at this uh this stage of proceedings, Sam, but, uh, well, yeah, if, uh, if it does come about, you will be, uh, and the listeners will be the first to know, no worries about that. Okay. Let's uh, wrap things up. It's the international break. That means of course that Japan are going to be in action. And, um, well, as far as, um, 
squad reveals go. Um, well, they're obviously usually quite uh, muted and uh, sedate affairs, aren't they, Sam? And in terms of shocks, uh, I don't they would think there were too many unveiled by Hajime Moriyasu uh, late last week. Uh, as Johnny mentioned, his mail was that to uh, say Mike Kuma was the most likely uh, to uh, most likely first time call up the uh, the Cerezo right back, and that came to pass. Uh, so um, yeah, it was interesting that the likes of Takumi Minamino, who has made a, a bright start to the new European campaign at Monaco, it was not uh, recalled. But I think that's uh, for the positive. Uh, Minamino is uh, he's going to have to right go back to the drawing board and take his place in the pecking order, I think, and he's going to have to do it for a sustained period before uh, Moriyasu will be rewarding rewarding him with a a, a recall to uh, to the setup, I would suggest. So uh, yeah, any uh, quick takeaways before we wrap up the episode from uh, from the national team squad? And not too many. It was a pretty safe squad. It's pretty similar to the ones there in June. I yeah, very happy for Sayamai Kuma to come in. I think he's a, had a very good couple of years uh, for Cerezo. Obviously, you can fill right back, probably right wing back if Japan want to go that way. And he's also plays on that right wing as well. So yeah, fully deserving of that. There's still a clear issue for Japan at left back. There's uh, no real actual left back in the squad. I think Morishita is probably the most likely to go over on that side or Hiroki Ito will go across there. But again, I don't think either of permanent left backs and either fill me with a great deal of confidence in that position. And then going forward, I thought the midfield options are very good and they're very strong, which probably helped Lee keeper Minamino out of it. Um, considering he's been in squads playing dreadfully, it was a surprise to me that him, the best form that he's been in a couple of years, that he was omitted. But yeah, hopefully that proves to him that he's got to do this uh, consistently for a few more months than a good start to the season. So that that was nice to see. But otherwise, yeah, it looks like a pretty decent squad. It's going to be really interesting, especially this first game against Germany. Because obviously in the World Cup, Japan sat back could have gone two or three down in that first half before really counter-attacking very well in that second half. But since then, well, since the World Cup, Japan have been trying to be a little bit more on the front foot. So it'd be interesting to see if they try and take the game to Germany and go up against them, or if they do revert to type and try and play on the counter-attack. I think that would be a really interesting match and to see where this Japan squad is, because as much as home Kieran Cup games are quite interesting, they've not been against necessarily great opponents or it's a better opponents that have traveled a long way so yeah a game in germany against germany should be a real test for them so i'm looking forward to it i think it should be yeah a good measuring stick to where japan are heading into the asian cup absolutely yeah very well said sam and yeah uh, yeah a, a marquee occasion obviously for, uh, for for Japan and a great opportunity for the the squad to get over to Europe and uh, and play one of the powerhouses of world football on their own patch so uh, yes terrific stuff looking forward to uh, Japan uh, Japan's visit to Germany and then of course they play uh, Turkey as well in the second of their fixtures over the, uh, the this international break so um, yeah promises to be fascinating couple of games and um, yeah we're not sure how we'll go about uh, reviewing them listeners uh, when our next uh, 
uh, recording of a big pod will be. But uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have some reaction to at least the Germany game before uh, J1 resumes in a couple of weeks. All right, then. Well, it's been yeah, absolutely terrific to reconnect with you again, uh, Sam. Firstly, to find out that all the training went well and your first week uh, on the, the new job has uh, has gone smoothly. So absolutely tremendous. And um, well, yes, like you've never been away with uh, your uh, your preparation for this uh, podcast and uh, your attention to detail on all of the uh, the games from uh, J1 Match Day 26. So, um, yeah, uh, thanks for uh, yeah making the the effort on a Saturday afternoon, a Sunday afternoon. Sorry, your time. And um, yeah, as I say, great to catch up with you and looking forward to doing so again uh, very, very soon. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been very good to get back and to get back into the swing of things with the J League. Uh, coming into this weekend, I think like, this is the least I've known about Japanese football in years. So I didn't feel particularly well prepared, but thankfully we've got got through it and hopefully the listeners have enjoyed it. And yeah, hopefully we can do this again fairly regularly for the next uh, yeah for the rest of this season. So yeah, again, thanks for having me back, keeping the faith with the new rolling deal. And uh, yeah, look forward to speaking to you again soon. All right, tremendous stuff. So uh, well done, Sam. Great to have you back. And uh, yeah, that's it for this week's episode of the J Talk podcast. Sam and I would like to thank our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. If you'd like to get involved, please visit patreon.com slash jtalkpod. And uh, we'd like to thank you listeners for listening wherever you are. We'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.